Thank you, Pastor Dan, and thank you to Pastor Wayne and Pastor Jeff, and as well as the team, Pastor Andy and Mark did a great job leading us in worship, and what incredible amount of talent we have at Fine Arts. You, you may be aware that in just a week and a half, Assemblies of God ministers from all over the country, and for the first time in history, every missionary in the Assemblies of God who is able to will come to Orlando for what we call our general council, and at the same time, all of our youth from across the country compete and Victory's fine arts team stand high above. Um, you know, it is a competition and would say that. And I have the privilege at Southeastern of having my teaching assistant being Ben Peacock, who directs many of our teams and is doing such a phenomenal job, and it's great to see them grow. But we're going to turn corners a little bit tonight, but, but not too far. And if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to take it and turn to Acts chapter 3. We're going to talk about refreshments in church. I don't know what that means to you, but I remember as a kid growing up, that was a good thing because my church was not like Victory. It was not exciting. We didn't have kids ministry. It was a, uh, a dead mainline church. I heard Jesus' name but never knew that I could know Jesus personally. But there was one thing every once in a while, it would show up on the bulletin, refreshments after church. And that got me really excited because I knew somebody had made some cookies and there would be some punch and some Kool-Aid and I'd go downstairs and I'd get refreshed. And that made it good and wonderful and exciting. But tonight we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that talks about refreshment, but it's way better than cookies and Kool-Aid. It is something on a completely different level altogether. And, and this is a, is a really key passage that comes from the book of Acts chapter 3. The Apostle Peter, Peter preaching his second sermon ever. Let's turn to verse 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the timeless nature that even though this was a message that Peter spoke there uh, at the entrance to the temple so many years ago, the message is still true today. You want to refresh your people. And Lord, it is Sunday night. And these people are here tonight because they have come to meet with you. And your Holy Spirit has already been at work if we have praised you and sought you. But Lord, I pray that you would infuse life into these words and go beyond. Would you bring conviction? Would you bring power? Would you bring this refreshing time that your word promises to your people that you, they would be prepared for the restoration that's going to follow? Lord, anoint these words, speak to our hearts, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And we all said, amen, amen. Notice how it starts out, therefore, repent and return. These are two words, and if you, anybody remember your English grammar, the different ways verbs work, in Greek they work this way. There's a certain type of verb that's called an imperative. An imperative is a command. And the thing about in English, you can make an imperative with just the verb be its own sentence. That's it. Like, stop. That's a command, right? Stop. Stand. And you would stand. You, you do what you're told. And the idea there is that it is a command. It is something that you have to do. And the interesting thing about this is Peter is preaching this sermon after seeing a miracle take place, crowds are gathering around, a lot of people are standing there, and he sees an opportunity to communicate a message that they need to hear. But it's not just to entertain them. He wants their lives to be changed. He needs them to know and come and experience everything that Jesus came to give for them. And so his message comes to a pinnacle right here in verse 19 when he gives them two imperatives, two commands, two things that they have to do. But you know, whenever somebody tells you you have to do something, doesn't that kind of rub you the wrong way sometimes? Somebody tells you you have to do something without giving you a reason for doing it. But now if you tell me why, if you convince me there's a good enough reason, okay, then I will do that. And that's why this sentence starts out with that wonderful word, therefore. You ever read the word therefore in the Bible? You got to ask, what's it? Therefore, it's connecting you with what came before. So now think about this. In, in this passage, Acts chapter 2, we all know we call ourselves 
Pentecostals because we believe that happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. It filled and empowered the disciples. And Peter, who once was so scared about being associated with Jesus, he denied that he knew him. Yet suddenly, because the Holy Spirit came in his life, he got up and he preached the gospel. 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. And now here we don't know exactly how much later it is, probably not too much, maybe a month or two after that. Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray like they always did and they see a lame man there asking them for money and Peter looks at him and says silver and gold do I not have but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and the man rose up and walked he didn't just walk he started leaping and dancing and going through the temple and everybody said what in the world happened we remember that guy what what was it what was the change and then he came back to Peter and people gathered around and that's when Peter saw I've got an opportunity to tell these people about Jesus. And so he started to tell and he went through all of that and his therefore points back to the miracle that just took place. You need to listen to me. You need to be willing to consider to do what I'm going to tell you to do because the power I'm talking about had the power to heal this lame man. But not only that, if we go back up there, you'll see and up in the earlier verses, as Peter begins to preach there in verse 12, he says, fellow, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at this as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. In other words, he is bringing back to their memory. A lot of those people would have been there that day when Pilate was out up in front and, and gave the people the chance. So who will you have dismissed? Who shall I release to you? Shall I release this Jesus to you? And instead they cried out, no, Barabbas, give us Barabbas. So Peter was bringing back their memory. They knew that this was history. This was a historical event he was talking about. But more than that, he goes on to say, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. So what's the therefore? The therefore is you've seen a miracle take place. You've seen a man who could never walk. You all saw him lying there begging. All of a sudden, he's walking and dancing around, number one. Number two, I'm bringing back to him your historical recollection, this one Jesus that you asked to be handed over. Number three, I'm telling you, he raised the, was raised from the dead, and we have eyewitness testimony of this. And then number four, in the passage we read, it hinted at the promise of the prophets from long ago. And in fact, as he wraps up, after the passage we looked at, he will mention several prophets. He will quote Moses. He will refer to Abraham. He will talk about Isaac. He will talk about Samuel, all of the prophets and the prophecies that took place to show that this was not an accident. There's reason for that. You know, there are hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled in his coming. And people looked at it and said, what's the likelihood of that? What's, what's, and one scientist once said, well, be the likelihood of a, a hurricane or a tornado blowing through a junkyard and creating a 747. It, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. And so we see prophecies throughout the Old Testament fulfilled very clearly and specifically by Jesus. So even though Peter is setting them up to be ready to receive the imperative, the commands that you're going to have to do. He wants them to know you've got reasons to do it. You've got reasons. Number one, a man who never walked before is now walking. Number two, you saw Jesus. You saw that. You saw that trial. And guess what? What you said would happen didn't happen. He rose again. We saw it. Number four, the prophets throughout history for thousands of years have been prophesying events that have taken place in our time. And it all centers around Jesus. Now it's up to you. Are you going to do it? Are you going to do what's up to you to do? And the question that Peter asked those people then is the same question that God is asking us tonight. Are you going to do what I'm telling you you need to do? You see, sometimes we Christians, we really mean well, but we want God to do what we need to do. 
We pray and we keep asking God to change circumstances. And God says, sorry, I'm telling you, that's in your hands. You've got to choose to do this. The question is, will we do it? Because we'll see as we go through, if we don't do our part, we don't get that refreshment and the restoration that's God's part. It's contingent. Look at the way it's worded right here. He said, therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You don't get the refreshing until your sins get wiped away, and you don't get your sins wiped away until you do two things, the two commandments, the whole pivot point of this whole sermon, and the key components of Christian life today, and not just for Christians, but for all all people, all times, all places. Two things start with the letter R. Number one, repent. Not a very popular word today, is it? You know, you don't think about it. I mean, if the world wants to mock Christianity, what do they do? They have some guy holding up a sign, says repent on it, as if it's somehow bad and evil. Because you know what? Repent is not a comfortable word. Repent, it means in Greek, it's metanoieta, as it is here, and it means to change your mind, to make a complete turnaround in the way you think, in the way you act, and it's not just in your thinking, it is as an act of your will. It's turning away from things that used to be a part and characteristic of your life, and that's not comfortable. And for a lot of Christians, unfortunately, we're afraid to use that word anymore because we live in a world where the number one character trait that everybody celebrates, the number one thing to do and to be is nice. I want to be nice. And to be nice means everybody's comfortable. I don't want to say something that's going to make somebody uncomfortable. We want them to come here and be happy and all smile and they go out the door. And if I said they've done like repent, that means they've got to change. That means there's something wrong with the way they're living. That's got to get turned around and go the other direction. But you know what? That is preaching. You go back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, and it talks about John the Baptist preaching from the very first time, and, and Matthew has to summarize everything that John said. And what does he say? He said, at that time, John went out and began preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. That's preaching. Repent. Get right, because the kingdom of heaven is here. And guess what? Over in chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew again wanted to summarize the way Jesus preached. What did he say? Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the problem is forgiveness isn't that, oh, sin's no big deal. Guess what? Sin is a really huge deal. It's a really massive deal. It cost our Savior, Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in order for your sins to be taken care of. And you can't say it doesn't matter. It does matter, and it is what keeps people cut off from God for eternity. It is serious business. And so you don't just go and say, on the way, oh, it's no problem, it's no big deal. No, it is a big deal. You need forgiveness, and the forgiveness doesn't come until you come and you look at that thing in the way you've lived and say, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. Lord God, help me do this. Now, we're not perfect, but the attitude of repentance is the key. It says, even if I fall back into sin again and say, Lord, help me, I don't want to do this again. Forgive me and help me. I have changed my mind. I have changed my heart. I do not want this stuff to, con to make consist of my life anymore. Set me free. Take it there. Pull it through. You see, our world today is so saturated with this idea of, oh, it doesn't matter. But the problem is, you think about every problem in the world today, all the violence, any wars, all of the abuse, murder, theft, everything that's bad, guess what it is at its core? It's sin. It's sin. It's sin. And it's problem. And that's why until we come and say, Lord, I don't want this anymore. I'm going to get away from it. But our problem is a lot of us have made peace with sin. Even as Christians, you know, we, we come to Jesus and, and we get set free and we're forgiven, but we allow something to exist in our life and say, it's not that big a deal. It's kind of like, I don't know if I can picture this very well, but I'd imagine it'd be kind of like you got a cute little monster in your closet. It's like one of the little squeeze toys or something like that. You, go, eh, 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 you know, and you go in there and you say, oh, you're so nice, you're so cute. I just want to keep you there. But every time you open the door, you feed the monster. It keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's going to devour you. 
Every addiction at its core is sin. And there are things that destroy our lives. And that's why what Anthony and Mary Beth are doing is so important. By the way, my wife Kira and I are both products of secular campus ministry. We came to Christ right before coming to college. And so we just so affirm what's there. Never imagined I would be a part of a Christian university now and seeing those who are called to ministry being and fulfilling their gifts. There's nothing like it. And because... The gospel is still real. The gospel still sets people free because people still need to be forgiven. And there's a message there. So the question tonight is, will you repent? And it may be the first time. It may be the 20th time. It may be the 2,000th time. But is there anything in your life you have allowed to exist that, that, that just stays there and all of a sudden you're opening the door of that closet and that little cute little monster isn't so cute anymore and it's devouring you. It's eating you up. It's destroying your family, or your finances, your career, your health, whatever it is, your emotional existence. We need, we need the freedom that only comes when we repent. But repentance is not enough. Notice, there are two commands there. It's repent and return. And the return here, this word is epistrapsite in Greek, and it's a a very common word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is shuv. It occurs 496 times throughout the Old Testament. And, And we use the word return as if it's get back going the right direction again. But it means that, but it also means go the right direction for the first time ever. Because repent says, I no longer want to do the bad things Return is, now I want to start doing the good things. But it's return is going the right direction. And that makes a difference. You know, I've watched some parents who are just really, really gifted. And I've watched some parents who really, really struggle. And I'm not going to ask you which category you're in. But you've been behind them in line in the checkout, right? They're there and they've got their little two-year-old kid. And mommy, I want a candy bar. And you know, and the mom said, no, no, you can't have a candy. My mommy, I want a candy bar. No, 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 you no candy, no candy. No, mommy, I want a candy bar. No, no, no. All mama does is just screams no, 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 and they have a big, huge battle, and they're all upset, and you're upset too because it was absolutely annoying, and the checker was waiting for him for 10 minutes before you could check out. You know, and it's just like, what is it? But you ever notice the master parents, what do they do? They don't say no. They turn the kid another direction. They give the kid something else that's a positive good that the kid is allowed to have. And suddenly the kid's not thinking about the candy bar anymore. You know, last month we all, um, a lot of you, how many of you helped out with Circle J? Last month, my wife and I got to teach classes our third year working with Circle J. And we had a great group of kids, but they were the toughest group of kids we've ever dealt with. You know, they, they come from some pretty rough homes, but I had some pretty strong guys. Let me tell you, about 12, 13 years from now, I think half of them will be in the NFL. I mean, they're just that, those, those strong kind of guys. And a lot of them came from the same neighborhood, and they did fine until the next day we were asked to take on another little guy who came from a different neighborhood. And I don't know what he was thinking. He was a skinny kid, and he kept picking on these four big future NFL linebackers. I mean, I, it was just insane. What in the world are you doing? I mean, it was a nonstop. And in fact, one time I caught one of those guys, throwing him down on the ground. I had to just like, oh my goodness, get out of there. But uh, some of you may know Sam and Nicole Skeen. They're missionaries, and Nicole has worked here, taught here at VCA, and she was helping out. And it was just like, as Kira and I were like, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to manage those kids? Nicole just walks in, snaps her fingers, immediately says, okay, right here, right now. Here's what we're going to do right here on the chart. She said, every time you do something good, you get a number. You give them here, you get a, you get a number. If your negatives outweigh your bads, guess what? You don't get anything. But if your goods outweigh your bads, I'm going to bring each of you something. So you tell me exactly right here. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh. This is it. This, you know, I know how to manage college students and adult learners, but fifth graders, that's another world altogether. There's something about that. There's something about that. Because you know what she did? She turned their head another direction for something positive. And it's the same thing. You ever experienced that in your own life? Again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you ever go on a diet? You try to lose weight? And all of a sudden, what do you do? 
Every time you see, I'm not going to eat any sugar, and everything is sugar. It just glows. It's just there. It's glowing at you, and you're just like, candy, cookies, cake, cocoa. Everything starts with a C. It's so wonderful. I'm going to live the whole life. You know, and you just keep no, no, no. And no doesn't work very well. You've got to provide the positive response going the other direction. And in our spiritual lives, that's the key. Notice where all this good stuff comes from. It comes from the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Another great thing, it's interesting. And those, I mean, there's, it's Sunday night, so a few of you like knowing the Greek and Hebrew stuff. So, so interesting thing here is Luke is the one writer of the Gospels who was not Hebrew. As far as we can tell, he's probably Greek. Yet he studied the Greek Old Testament, and he adapts a lot of usage of things that the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint translated from Hebrew. He's very intentional about some of his wording in there about what he did. And, and so even in this particular case, this word, the presence of the Lord. In Hebrew, you guys want to learn some Hebrew? Lifne, say that, Lifne, Lifne Yahovah. In the presence of the Lord, it means two is the la, and the fene is panav, which means the face. It's pointing to the face of God. That's the presence of the Lord. And there's something there, and there's something powerful that's been happening here on Sunday nights. You've experienced the power, and you know what it is? It is when you people who are hungry for the presence of the Lord and you love Jesus with all your heart and you come and gather together and Jesus' promises comes true where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And there's something about the presence and the power of God that brings freedom and brings deliverance, but it also brings conviction. If you're out of line, and it may be that even as I'm speaking here, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, saying to you tonight, there's a reason why Alan is giving this message because there's something you've got to get right. And yes, you've got to let it go, but you don't let it go. So you go, oh, life's so miserable. I miss that so much. I miss that thing that used to be a part of my life, and it's so horrible. Oh, that beer that I used to drink all the time, and i got to give it away, and now I go there. That's why people who deal with alcoholism don't go back to bars if you want to set free. Because why? You can't just be around it. It's going to pull you in. You need to turn your face another direction. So being here in the presence of the Lord, committing to him, praying and seeking him every single day, spending time in the Bible and praying is so key to experiencing the refreshing that comes afterwards. Turn the right direction. So repent, turn away from the evil in your mind as an act of your will. Return, turn to Jesus instead. Keep him first and foremost. Before I came to Southeastern, I taught at Northwest University, our sister school near Seattle, and before that I pastored an incredible group of people, a wonderful little church north of Seattle called Warm Beach Community Church. And if you live in Florida, you would say, how in the world could there be a Warm Beach in Washington? And there really isn't a Warm Beach there, but the interesting thing about Warm Beach is it had a very shallow bay. And every year, sometime about June or July, we'd have these massive uh, uh, tides that would go out, and it would go out two miles out, and the, the sand would be exposed, and the sun would come down, and get warm, and the water would come back in, it'd be like 80 degrees. Everybody thought, warm beach, that's wonderful. But the people were warm, and they were wonderful. But it so happened, the church was actually historic, founded in 1910. And in the 1960s, long before I ever got there, there was a lady who had come up from Seattle, and I guess she had a vacation place up there or something, and she would attend church there. Her name was Helen Howarth Lemel. You may know her by the song that she wrote that I think so powerfully communicates this concept. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You want to sing that with me? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. 
And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Repent. Turn away from the bad stuff. But turn to Jesus. And what's the promise? Times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. It's the only time this word occurs in the New Testament. And it's interesting. You notice that the word times is here in verse 20. It's also in verse 21 in English. There are two different words in Greek. This time is the kairos time. The kairoi, plural, times. And the idea, the difference in this meaning between a chronos time is it means it's a period of time. A kairos time is a, a moment in time. It's a moment when something happens. And it, it, it's a season. It, it's something that comes in. But it's decisive. It's a decisive moment in time that changes everything that happens afterwards. How many of you could say that there was a time where you experienced everything that Peter's talking about? You came to Jesus, you repented, you turned away from sin, you returned to Jesus, you came to him, and you experienced that freedom, that refreshing. How many of you could say that tonight? And your life has never been the same since. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's absolutely. And notice there's only one source. There's only one place that it can come from. And I believe it's why so many revivals are characterized by repentance. There's something we've got to get ourselves clean and pure. I mean, we've got to get right with Jesus. I mean, if you're thirsty and you walk into your, your kitchen counter and you've got a dirty glass in there just coated with all kinds of crud and you've got one that's clean, which one are you going to use to pour yourself a drink of water? It's going to be the clean one. It's only clean vessels that God can fill. And we're only clean whenever we have come to him, when we've repented and we've returned. But then the promise is that season of refreshing, that time of refreshing. And I know and I'll never forget being 18 years old and, and growing up again in a, in a mainline church, but I'd heard the gospel my junior year of high school and, and sort of started to go that direction, started reading the Bible, but God came in my life in a powerful way, and I've shared this story here before, and it was at its core a message of repentance. Would I be willing to give up something in my life that was out of line that what God desired? And I had to make that choice, even though the rest of the world said, it's okay, it's the way you should live. Do with whatever you want, with whomever you want, whenever you want to do it. And, and that should be right. And God said, uh-uh, you save that. You save that for marriage. And I did on that rock, and I made that commitment because I knew if God cared enough about me to let me know, how could I not? And my life has never been the same since, and I'll never turn back. And now I have the incredible privilege of seeing hundreds and now thousands of students with the call of God in their life going out into ministry all over the world, going and seeing other people hear this same gospel message, seeing the refreshing that cannot come from anywhere else. There's no movie you can watch. There's no substance you can imbibe. There's no vacation you can take. There is nothing else that can bring the refreshing that can come from the presence of the Lord. There is nothing else that is like it. So why go anywhere else? Why turn anywhere else? And yet it was about 14 years later, 15 years after that, that I had found I had made peace with some area of sin in my life. It wasn't huge. I could go on. Nobody knew. But God knew. Three years ago, I got invited to go preach at Brownsville Assembly of God up in Pensacola. That was going back for me. And I know not everything that happened at, at that whole revival was maybe handled correctly. But let me tell you, the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was there. And I went, I was on staff at a church, and a lead pastor took us there. And I think he was looking for the next big thing to help our church grow. Let me tell you, it wasn't about that. I mean, we were there watching, wondering what would happen, and I'll never forget sitting in that pew, feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit as Steve Hill every night, every night, he would say, repent. You come down, you get it right with Jesus. And I ran to that altar, and I experienced just a breakthrough in my life, and once again, the times of refreshing came like never before, and have never been the same since. In some of those areas, that monster that used to let live in the closet, he died that night, and he's never come back. 
So do you want to be refreshed? One more thing that we see in this passage. Peter said that God will do, and that is to restore. Notice as he goes on there, he says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. The period of restoration of all things. What's that talking about? That's restoring things the way they used to be way back in the garden before sin came. Back when people had a pure and undefiled relationship with God and one another. That time is coming. But when that time comes, only those who have repented and turned to Jesus are going to be there. That's it. Period. That's why this season, these times now, these times mean that there is the open season. You can come in, not like fishing, open season out there. I can go fishing for whatever I want. It's open season to come to Jesus. It's time to be right, time to come and get things right and straightened out. And I don't want to assume that just because it's Sunday night church that everyone here has already made that decision sometime before. There's no better night than tonight for you to say, Lord, maybe for the first time, I'm going to repent. I'm going to come and get it right. Because these words, the hopeful promise of restoration, are only hopeful promises for those who are in relationship with Jesus. And so we need to have that. And as Peter says, it's not just his words, not just my words. God's been saying this from the holy prophets of old. This is it. The miracles of God substantiate it. The resurrection of Jesus guarantees it. The undeniable presence of God affirms it. The conviction of the Holy Spirit infuses it. What will you choose? I know it can be tough. Whatever it is you need to repent of, whatever it is you need to let go of, you're afraid of what you'll lose. But can I let you know, God's not going to let you down. He will give you so much more in return than you can ever imagine. The very last verse of this chapter, the very last sentence of Peter's sermon, he said, for you first, God raised up his servant, that's Jesus, and sent him to bless you. Blessing means good things happen. Jesus wants good things to come to your life. He wants to give you good things, but it's conditional on what? Turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So now as the altar team comes forward tonight, And the worship team comes back to the platform. I want you to just consider yourself. Examine your own heart. Are Peter's words that he preached to those who gathered around him there on the temple courts that day as they saw that lame man walk for the first time? Is this Jesus' word for you tonight? Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you invite us to repentance, not because you're cruel, not because you want to take fun things away from us, but because you can see how destructive sin is. And you offer us something so much better than we can imagine, real refreshment, real joy, the peace of God that passes understanding eternal life with you, your presence and power in this life. Lord, as we turn away, as we turn our eyes away from those things that were evil, we turn them towards you, we get that refreshing. And so tonight, Lord, we do that. And Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just speak to every heart, every person. Lord, you love each and every person here tonight. And you know exactly where they are, what's going on in their life. You know, Lord, if there is something that any of them needs to turn to you, anything that they need to get right with you, 
they would do that. They would repent as an act of their will, not by their own ability. All they can do is say, Lord, I need your help. I don't want to do this anymore. Would you set me free? And I know, Lord God, your Holy Spirit is here tonight because you want to see people set free. You want them to experience that time of refreshing. And so, Lord God, I pray that right now throughout this room, throughout this room, the Holy Spirit would rain down conviction. You would rain down in power and you would just bring the freedom, the victory, the refreshing power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. And so now I'm just going to ask you all to stand to your feet. And if you're here and you believe that this word was for you tonight, the Holy Spirit has prompted something to you, there's something we're not going to shame you because every single one of us in one time or another, we've needed to be set free. We've needed to repent. We need to get real with God. And the altar team is here and they're ready. And I'm just going to invite you as the, uh, uh, the worship team leads us in a time of worship. Would you come forward if there's something that you need to get right with God? I just invite you to come here. If you want to pray on your own, you're free to do that up here in the front. If you would like one of the prayer team to join with you, I just invite you to just keep coming down because there is freedom, there is refreshing, there is victory in Jesus as we get our hearts right with him. In the meantime, if there's anything else in, that you would would like the prayer team to join with you in prayer for they will be available up here but let us give the Lord these next few minutes as we commit our lives to him would you come on down
one more time tonight. It's here in your presence, all things are new. Lord, we thank you for your presence tonight. Thank you, Lord God, for the refreshing presence of God. Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your spirit. Would you empower all of us to live in that refreshing, to share that good news wherever we go, to walk in the repentant life with our eyes focused on you, empowered by the work of your spirit in us, that this world will be a different place. We love you, Lord, and pray your blessing on Pastor Wayne and all the staff here and give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Amen. These altars are going to remain open tonight. If you want to stay and worship for a couple moments tonight, you're welcome. If not, God bless you guys. We hope to see you back here Wednesday night. I'm here in your presence. None compares to you, Jesus. We lift your name on high. Sing here. In here in your best, we are undone, we are undone. Here in your presence, here in your presence, heaven and earth become one. Here in your presence, here in your presence, all things are new, all things are
Thank you for what you did tonight in this place. We honor your name. God, bring us back safely here Wednesday. As we worship you throughout this week, we honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for staying and worshiping with us. We hope to see you back Wednesday night. We love you guys.